I, I think that we might have oversold how non-traditional today is. But then I thought, well, it depends on what you think is traditional. And here we have a pretty interesting variety of um, like what our sermons look like. And even as we've gone through the Acts series, some of our speakers have stuck very specifically to this event, this event, this event. And other speakers have noticed, hey, here's one theme of these, and we're going to talk about this theme of this passage. Um, and so it's God speaking through a variety of people to communicate what is going on in the book of Acts. Um, but one of the things we're doing today, we're at the section of Acts from, it's about Acts 23, except I went back to Acts 22. So we're doing Acts 22 through 26, which has Paul giving a lot of sermons. Paul is preaching to a range of people, and so we just wanted to hear what is Paul saying to these crowds. So we're going to have a few different people come up and read scripture for those parts, and then I'm gluing it all together. So that might be non-traditional for us. So... Like I mentioned, it's this longer section or narrative point within Acts. And we've gone through so much in the book so far. We have seen consistent evidence of God's faithfulness as God is working through the Holy Church, or through the early church, the Holy Spirit guiding people consistently, um, the disciples boldly preaching about Jesus. And again, just how much they are reliant on the Holy Spirit and trusting God to get them through things. So this point in the story, we have this, this dramatic series where Paul is assaulted by a mob, almost killed. He's arrested um, and sent to prison and then stays in prison for years. Um, so some of this historical context, you know, as we've gone through Acts, we've talked a lot specifically about the tension between the, the followers of Jesus, or as they're often called, the followers of the way, this tension between them and the existing religious status quo against the Jewish leaders. So there's this tension between the, the Jesus followers and the former religious establishment. Um, there's also the Romans who keep showing up, right? And so some of that historical context, um, the Jewish people were essentially an occupied state, like they had been invaded by the Romans, they were occupied, they had been conquered. And that also makes for some really interesting political tensions that we see, especially among uh, Jesus' disciples. Like, do you all remember Simon the Zealot? What was he zealous for? Like, kicking the Romans out. He wanted to violently overthrow the Roman government. And then there's Matthew, the tax collector, the guy who's like basically collaborating with the Romans, collaborating with the conquerors. And so there's like, these are opposite sides of their political spectrum. And they both gave up their extremism. They both gave up those sides of them to follow Jesus. And I think that's the type of thing where it's like, that's about 10 different sermons, but we're staying on Acts today. Um, so we had the Jewish leaders, the Romans, um, and then another power in there. Do you all remember where Herod fit in? Somewhere, right? Um, there's several of the, the Herods. So one of those historical things, the Romans could not be bothered to micromanage the places they conquered. Some of them they had as client states, basically. Um, they would recruit the locals to manage the local stuff and keep things in order. So that's what the, the Herodian dynasty was, who King Herod was. Um, the rulers who were like culturally similar, but worked on behalf of Rome. So that's basically three different human power structures that are pushing against 
what Jesus is doing here and what the followers of Jesus are doing. We have like the, the religious status quo. We've got the, the political leaders of the occupied state, the Herodian dynasty, and we've got the, the big bad Roman empire. And so all of this is just working together. And there's also language differences and cultural differences. And we'll save that for like a history class, I suppose. Um, but the language difference does matter here because the Roman soldiers tended to speak Greek. But in Judea, the primary language was Aramaic, like the local language. Um, and so that matters here in a minute. So um, in Acts 21, Paul arrives in Jerusalem and he hears from the church there that there have been troublemakers. There have been people going around basically trying to get people angry at Paul. And so this crowd, sure enough, this crowd shows up and they come at him. Like they, they attack Paul. They are wailing on him. They are trying to kill him. And it says that the, the news made it to the commander of the Roman troops that there was a disturbance. Disturbance seems to be putting it lightly. So the soldiers come in and they basically, they rescue Paul from this crowd that's about to kill him. Uh, and they try to get the story from him and from the people who are attacking him. And they're basically like, this, this is a hot mess. They take him to the barracks and essentially keep him from being murdered by this mob scene. So then Paul asks, hey, can I speak to this crowd? And that's where chapter 22 begins. And that's where he speaks to them in Aramaic, like in the language that is their, their cultural language, their tongue. And he shows he's connecting with them. He shows that he's from there. He's not this out-of-town rabble-rouser. So at this point, I think it's best if y'all just hear what Paul has to say. So we've got a couple of people coming up. Um, y'all are tall. You want it like this tall? <laughs> um, so this is Paul uh, being rescued from the mob scene by the Roman soldiers and speaking to the crowd in Acts 22. Okay. Uh, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, brought, but brought up in this city. I stuttered under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can te themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from the heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. 
And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So at this point, the crowd just erupts in anger. Like, hearing that, how do you think the crowd would respond? You know, as people who follow Jesus, we're like, that's the gospel, that's the good news. Look at the way that, that God has transformed Paul's life. The crowd responded, rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. So they're back in this, like, rabble mode of they want to kill him. Um, so the Romans looked at that and thought, we do not want them. We do not want this mob rule. We do not want them just murdering people. So they said, okay, let's, let's, let's flog him. Let's give him a nice beating. Um, maybe that will satisfy the crowd. And here's where that, that power stuff gets really interesting again, because Paul says, hold up, you can't flog me. I'm a Roman citizen. So he's flexing on, you know, this, this human power thing, um, to say, you can't do that under your own rules. So the soldiers might have been happy just flogging and beating somebody from the, like, from the colonized people, but they weren't going to hurt this Roman citizen. So the commander's a little worried that he's going to get in trouble just for how he's treated Paul already. So the Romans take him to some of the Jewish leaders. And this part, I just found this part so interesting. And again, I wanted to spend about 20 minutes just unpacking this section um, because Part of me thinks, oh, Paul's gonna, you know, give just the same exact thing, like explaining, you know, who Jesus is. And what Paul does is he essentially pits them against each other. He sees all these religious leaders and he says, I'm here because I believe in the resurrection of the dead, which then gets the, the Jewish sects, the Pharisees and the Sadducees just start arguing with each other. And so I thought that was just so interesting because he could have said, hey, I'm here because I preach Jesus, which is 100% true. But he also used that opportunity to show to the Romans that the, the religious status quo, that the Jewish leaders weren't, you know, weren't in a good place either. Um, he showed them how petty and divisive they were being. And so again, I wanted to go on a detour here, but I'm not going on that detour today. So I do want to invite y'all later on in this week, read through Acts 23. There's a lot going on in there that I think is worth spending some time chewing on and praying through and see what the Spirit speaks to you about those verses. So anyway, as, as the religious leaders were arguing, Paul is sent back to jail. And then the next night, the Lord tells him, as you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. So Paul is there in jail. He's heard from, from God where this is going. Um, and this plot starts to happen. Like some of the, the religious folks then start thinking, okay, how do we kill him? Um, and it's just one of those like, again, the, the Holy Spirit is working there and some, some kid overhears the plot and like runs and tells the disciples what's going on. Um, and it, word gets back to Paul. And so the Romans, like they put him under even more guard to make sure he's not killed locally, to make sure he has the chance to get a fair trial. So the commander then writes a letter to Governor Felix, 
who was one of the Roman civilian officials. Um, and he said, okay, we should go talk to Governor Felix and we'll go up and figure it out there. So they go to Caesarea, which as the name suggests, it has Caesar in the name. It's a Roman administrative area. And so this whole circus goes over there. High priests, some elders, a lawyer. Um, this lawyer named Tertullus shows up and he's speaking to Governor Felix and he just basically flatters him. And he says, you have made this land so peaceful. You have been so great to us. Would you be so kind as to get rid of Paul? Well, it's a smooth, smooth talking attorney there. Um, and so at this point, Paul has a chance to speak. And again, he has a chance to share the gospel this time in front of this Roman civilian um, leader, officer. Uh, he gets to share to Governor Felix what's going on. Um, so he gets to share the gospel. And he shares the hope that he has in Jesus with this Roman governor. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. <clears throat> my accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as the follower of the, as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonial clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. So Paul has made his case to Governor Felix, and I just found it so interesting that he, he just highlights, I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. I have hope in the same God that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And again, at this point, we could spend quite a bit of time of just seeing God's character consistently throughout Scripture and how the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is Jesus and how we see that, that the story has just been a continuous, continuous showing of God's faithfulness. Um, and then fr from Felix's perspective, you know, it seems that he's listening. Like he, he acts like an attentive listener for a bit. And a bit later, he's like, okay, I want to speak to Paul one-on-one. -on -one. And then Paul keeps preaching to him. And then he talks about things such as righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come. And at that point, Felix did not like what he was saying. And again, this is one of those those points that just seems to resonate so much. Uh, it, it also says in that chapter that Felix was, you know, hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. But he was also listening until he didn't like what he heard. When it got to the part about discipleship. When it got to the part that God does care how we live. 
that God does care about how we treat each other, and that there is a judgment at the end. So he's, you know, he's listening. Like, it's it's really nice to believe in the, the God that's like blessings and resurrection of the dead and eternal life, or serving a God who doesn't ask anything of you. But that's not really serving a God. Just, you know, kind of hanging out and vibing. Um, but when you get to the pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And so it also reminds me of the rich young ruler that, that Jesus encountered. Um, there's just, yeah, that's, that is just a running problem that we as humans have. So part of me just wants like, here's, yes, here's your sermon point of the day. Don't be a Felix. Uh, <laughs> just be interested in what we get out of God. Also, Felix, like, Paul is literally in prison right now. Like, what did Felix think that following Jesus would mean? Um, and so on that note, Paul stayed in prison at this, like in Caesarea. He pr- stayed in prison for two years. Felix basically just kept him in jail as, as a favor to the other leaders. Like, okay, we'll just avoid problems. We'll just keep him in prison. Um, and then Felix was no longer ruler. He died or something. Um, and left Paul in prison for the next guy, for Portius Festus, to, to deal with. So then the chief priests come, and they ask, they ask, you know, Festus, would you kindly return Paul to Jerusalem so we can deal with him there, um, and maybe have an unfortunate accident along the way? And Festus says, no. Festus says, let's have a trial. Let's see what's up again. Um, and so all these people come, and they give these accusations against Paul, and nothing really sticks or makes sense. And then Festus asks, hey, Paul, would you be willing to go back to Jerusalem and get this all cleared up? And Paul, no. Like, why does he not go back to Jerusalem? Years ago, God had told him, you're going to go to Rome. And so Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. And so this escalates the situation. So we have a Herod that shows up at this point. So before Paul gets sent to Rome, um, Herod Agrippa was touring his areas. Um, so again, back to our various powers that be. Um, Herod was the local-ish Judean ruler who was collaborating with the Romans. So um, Festus, the, the Roman, um, and Herod Agrippa are talking about what's going on, and Herod says, yeah, I'd like to hear what Paul has to say. So they have this huge gathering, and it gathered all of these community leaders and military officers, and basically another chance for Paul to speak. And again, this is one of those, it seems like a big political show for them, and it is also Paul having a chance to speak to even more influential people and continue to spread the gospel. And I just think about how many times we think, man, I would love the opportunity to share God's word with somebody. And how rarely we think, I would love for it to be while on a trial or after being in prison for a few years. So there's this huge audience gathered up. um, And he's still doing exactly what God has called him to do. So we're going to have our scripture readers come back up and read through all of Acts 26. And as they do, I want you all to listen to what Paul is highlighting. We've heard various bits of this story before. And I want you all to notice what he what he brings up in particular, what he has to say to Herod and the crowd. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today 
as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name, oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that it is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, oh, Amber Alert, sorry. (laughs) Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, 
This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. One of those things that just really strikes me through that is, is Paul's boldness and, and honesty of how he's just telling his story. And so there's that element of he did not shy away from talking about the, the supernatural, like the, this light coming down and blinding him. And I think part of what struck me about that one is just, you know, in my, in my context, like I work in higher ed and it's a bunch of people who are like very hopefully rational. Um, and it's easy to talk about historical events. But anytime you start talking about like the, the irrational, the illogical, the supernatural, you either have the you're insane or people who can connect and have experienced things like that as well. And so it just struck me how Paul was just bold about that and how Agrippa makes that comment about like, you think you can convert me? You think that you can make me a Christian in this short of a time? Um, but Paul is is there to preach the gospel. He tells that the good news is for everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. And throughout all of this, he's just consistently trusting God's faithfulness and keeping him safe from these, these mobs, these crowds that are trying to kill him. So, you know, I, I want to give like slight spoiler, um, peeking ahead, not to spoil next week's sermon. Um, but at the end of Acts, we read that Paul was basically like he gets sent to Rome and he was under arrest, like under house arrest for years. He is essentially imprisoned again. But in that time, people just keep coming to his house and hearing the good news and hearing the gospel. He kept preaching and spreading the gospel in what was one of the most powerful cities in the world at that time. And so we just continue to see God's faithfulness throughout the story. So at this point, we're going to break into um, discussion groups. So a group of three to four people around you. And we have a couple of questions up on the screen soon on the screen. There we go. Yeah, so I just want y'all to discuss through this what you noticed about God's faithfulness throughout these chapters, and then share some stories. How have you seen God's faithfulness in your life through some of these unexpected circumstances, or in some of these cases, completely expected circumstances? So we're going to break into groups of three or four people around you, and we'll spend about 10 minutes on that, and after that, our praise team will come up with another song.